Hello there and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Hello there, my name is Des Cahill and today's visitor to the island is a very familiar name, a fascinating woman from the world of motorsport. When she first started rallying, she was a rare commodity, a woman taking on the men, but she went on to become a racing legend in the male-dominated world of motorsport and the oldest ever person to drive a Formula One car at the age of 79. It's a pleasure to welcome Rosemary Smith, where do we start with this extraordinary life, Rosemary? I mean, you went into a world that was, it was a very masculine world, motorsport. Well, it was here, definitely. But, you know, I had a a few good friends who were in motorsport. And, you know, one of them, a woman that I used to make, because I was dress designer originally, and I used to make clothes for her. She decided she wanted to go rallying. And I knew about racing because my dad had done a bit of racing in a very amateur capacity. So she decided we would go rallying together. And she more or less came into the little showroom I had one day and she said, you are coming on a rally at the weekend. So I said, fine, I could drive. I've always driven. I've driven since I was 11. So I knew exactly what I was doing. But I didn't realise I was meant to navigate. And of course, I can't navigate to this day. I can't. I remember if I go and do a recce somewhere, I can remember it turn by turn by turn. But uh, anyway, she said, you're going to navigate, gave me a map. And every corner and bender came to, I turned the map around as well, which, of course, is the last thing you're meant to do. But after this, she a few curses and dams out of her. She said, you drive and I'll navigate. So we did that for a long while. But before we, we got into the fine, you know, the final yeah. control, she'd say, now you get out and I'll drive in. And then for the next rally, she would drive out. Then I'd take over and then... Oh, my God. Yeah. So she it, looked like the driver. But I didn't mind that at all. It made no difference to me because I just loved it. It was a sport and it was something to do with the weekend. And You it, mentioned you started driving at 11, Rosemary. Yeah. That's, that's no, you. Where did you start driving? Uh, in a field. No, my dad had a bit of land up in Oldbourne near Talla. Yeah. And uh, he said, there are two things you must do. You must learn to drive and learn how to swim. So... Uh, I went up in the field and there were big old cars. I mean, this is going way back to the sort of, what, 50s. It was a Vauxhall. We we don't have Vauxhalls any longer, but it had an enormous steering wheel. It was incredible. <laughs> and, you know, here I was, and I was small at that stage, and I was sitting on about three cushions to try <laughs> so that I could see out between the top of the steering wheel and the, you know, the windscreen. Yeah. But he was very good because he never sort of said, oh, stop or, oh, be careful or nothing, nothing. He'd say, go on, go on, go on. And then he'd say, go a bit faster. You won't get the feel of a car unless you go that much faster. Well, it stood me in, in very good stead because, you know, when I went to do things like Monte Carlo with snow and ice and so on, it was the same technique, you know, sort of, you know, you steer into it and you steer, yeah. you know, all this sort of carry on, which was great. But and you were he, close to your dad, were you? Ah, he was brilliant. Oh, I adored my dad. He was quiet. He didn't argue. And I don't mean he didn't argue with me because, I mean, my mother spent all her life arguing with him. But they were chalk and cheese. He was a, a Methodist and, of course, she was a Catholic. When they got married, uh, it meant they couldn't be married in a Catholic church. 
They couldn't be married in the Diocese of Dublin. They had to go out to a marriage in Dunboyne Church on a side altar as long as my father would give her permission that any children they might have would be brought up Catholics. Ostracisation isn't in it. We go somewhere and we'd go down, say, to one of the Methodist halls. I remember the one at the end of Foster Avenue, St Thomas's, and I went with who subsequently became a, a stepsister to me. But she, she was a Methodist, and she said, now, just don't, don't say where you go to church or anything like that. If the rector asks you, you know, you've got to say just Rathfarnham. Don't say Catholic Church. Otherwise, I would have been thrown out. Your first musical choice, actually, is about your dad. Yeah. He loved music. He was quiet. Of course, Sunday evenings, we all had to listen to, you know, the, the hymns and the, this. I, I can't remember what the programme was called, but he adored the March of the Toreadors. And when I got my first little mobile to get the ringtone, and I got this da 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 but I found that now the youngsters today, very few of them would even know what that was and that it was from Carmen or anything yeah, else. Yeah. But when it was played in the car when I was running the driving school, within a few minutes they were all going, da 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 <laughs> It was brilliant. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's Carmen, the choice of today's guest, former international rally driver Rosemary Smith, who's told us that she began rallying just almost as an interest at uh, the weekends. But you were to become a professional rally driver. Yeah, but you see, as you said, there weren't too many women rally drivers. Yeah. And I did, uh, after, actually we had a big accident in the middle of the night one night. and I Tell us about it. And it was 3am. And you know, your body is at its lowest dead between mm. about 2 and 4am. And uh, where, where were you? Where was the rally? Down in Carlo. Uh, and the extraordinary thing was that it was foggy, very foggy and we were going slowly luckily because you know in fog it's very hard to see and she said we're coming to crossroads straight across so I said grand so we came to the crossroads, went straight across but it was at a T end so we hit the wall head on I mean we wouldn't have been going fast and she shot forward and the seat belts broke and she got the top of her head sliced off uh, because the sun visors in those days it was in a mini and they were held on by a metal clip and it just literally sliced the top of her head. And I had a torch, luckily I had a torch and I sort of turned and all I could see was the blood everywhere and the top of her head was literally turned back. And I thought, no, I, I didn't I didn't panic at that stage. I thought, oops, I have to do something about this. So I found a box of tissues, got the head, the thing, oh. pushed it back down where it should be and got the tissues and then got the scarf and tied it tightly around under her chin and then said, I've got to get out now. And of course, pitch dark at, at the back of Mount Leinster, actually, it was where it was. And uh, so that was all. So I had to try and clamber out. And then, of course, the door, the whole card crumpled up. So I couldn't get out through the door. So I had to get out through the window, which was made of perspex in those days. So I had to lean over and put my feet against it and slam it out. Mm-hmm. Then. No, no light anywhere around the place. Had the torch, ran down the road. The torch went out, of course, what else? Fell over a cow that was sitting in the ditch. <laughs> now, this at this stage, I just didn't care any longer. And how was your navigator? Well, eventually this man came out in his cattle truck because he had nothing else, which had been to the mart all day, so you can imagine what it smelled like. We went to one hospital and it was shut, and then we went into Carlo. 
and uh, it was uh, the hospital there. So they took her and, uh, oh, no, she's lost too much blood. You know, she's finished more or less. This is what they were saying. And this, it was 7 a.m. So, I mean, she had lost a lot of blood. And uh, eventually they started to, uh, you know, put all her head back together again. Luckily, her skull wasn't cracked or anything like that. So they, 49 stitches around the top of her head. But she was fine. No, no, we went rallying again after that. And uh, we went over to England. We did the RAC rally. But you see, Rosemary, back then, rallying was so much more dangerous than now. Oh, yes. (laughs) But you didn't consider the dangers or the fear of... No, no. And even after, how long, how soon after that crash were you back in a car, for instance? Oh, well, her husband came down that morning and uh, I said, uh, you know, oh, no, you stay here. He said, no, I'm bringing you home. And I went to get in the passenger seat and he said, no, you're getting in the driving seat. But he was absolutely right. Mm. And uh, from Carlo on the old road, of course, back to where I lived at that stage, out in Clonee, and I think it took us four hours. (laughs) (laughs) And it was in the ditch and it was out of the ditch. You know, I don't think we got out of second gear the entire way. But anyway, but he was just rega- getting you to regain yeah. confidence. And then I went home, got into bed, fell asleep. And the next morning again, my dad said, right, we're going down now. My sister lived in Bettystown and he said, we're going to Bettystown and uh, you're driving. And I said, oh, no, and a mini. And, um, uh, but he said, no, 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 that's fine. We can take our time. So into the driving seat. And we hadn't gone, I suppose, a mile. And I was back in... <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, but if if I hadn't done that, I probably would have been very sort of scared mm. after that. Not for myself, Des. This is a funny thing. I never worried about myself. I worried about my navigators and I worried about making a fool of myself. And I mean, even, you know, when I went off to do the Formula One drive, it was just, you know, and I'm there and, you know, there were about 50 people around and, it was, you know, the Renault Formula One and all the Renault people were there. And well, we, well, all right, we, yeah, we we'll go, talk about that because, that yeah, later. because that, that's that's a hell of a story in itself. <laughs> yeah. But could you make a living as a professional rally driver? No. Oh, they can now. I yeah. mean, they won't go driving unless you know they're getting a few million or whatever yeah. it is. Back there, I was just so thrilled to have a drive and then start to win things and showing that I wasn't just, as I was told, the dumb blonde and, uh, you know, the the Irish farmer, you know, this sort of thing, because we lived on a farm at one stage. But, you know, I I put up with all that. I didn't mind because I was doing something I really, really loved. You were a very tall, striking, good-looking woman. Yes. And were you photographed a lot? Were you... Did that make a difference? Yes. I only got my drive, and I'm being quite honest about this, we did Monte Carlo Rally one year as a privateer with a girl called Sally Ann Cooper and a lovely girl called Pat Wright. And we got to Monte Carlo and it was quite snowy that year. And uh, at the ball at the end, they always have a grand ball and prize giving and so on. In Monaco. Oh, yes, it was fantastic. And of course, I'd heard so much about Monaco and, and Princess Grace and all this sort of carry on. I mean, it was something that... Never in my wildest dreams I would have thought that I'd ever see. But anyway, so we arrived at this thing and um, the, a man came over to me and he said, and he, to me at the time, he was a slimy, old, well, very middle-aged man. I was probably about in my 20s and uh, sleek back hair, which I didn't like the look of at all. And he said, you are going to come and drive for us. I didn't even know who he was. And it turned out that he was the competition manager for the Roots Group. 
I said, no way. I mean, once, you know, slipping, sliding over the mountains was enough for me. Mm. But anyway, uh, so I said no. And the first time my father and last time that he ever was really cross with me was when I told him this old fella and, and he asked me to go and join the team. <laughs> you know, little did I know. So my mother, apparently behind my back, wrote to them and said that I was very, as from me, yes, as if to say, you know, I was very tired and I'm so sorry and uh, I'd love to join their team, please. So the next thing I got um, a letter back from the Roots Group saying you are now a member of the Works Rally team. But I mean, there's no money involved in this. There was, well, the car was provided, of course, yeah. at all expenses. But I think our expenses to start with are about £12 a day. And it was one thing that I'm very glad he, he said, you're not men and you're not women, you're drivers. And were you treated equally by the men? No. No. Absolutely no. Not until a lot later when I started to win and they weren't winning and this type of thing. No, certainly not. There was one very nice man called Peter Proctor and he kept saying to me, you know, Rosie, don't worry about them. Do your best. And we'd go out for a practice run and he'd say, now, if you follow me, I'll get the lines on the various... I mean... Things like, you know, the Alps and um, subsequently the Andes and, you know, you name it. And it was just unbelievable. And he said, just follow my line. He was a very experienced driver, a lovely man. And uh, I'd start that and he'd say, great, you're doing well. We'll go a little bit quicker. We'll go a little bit quicker, uh, which was wonderful. I was always very grateful yeah. to him. Our cars weren't very good at that stage. And the fact that I was tall and blonde and the false eyelashes and the long legs, <laughs> I was good for publicity. I mean, I didn't Did that bother you that you were being used no. for the publicity? No. no, because I was getting the drives. No, I didn't mind that at all. Because when I was here, when I was dress designing and modelling and so on, I mean, you don't become a model unless you want to be seen sort of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as I was concerned, it was a continuation of what I'd been doing a bit of here. Your, your second musical choice, Rosemary Smith, is Adam Fate. And there's, a sto- <laughs> there's a story behind this as well. Oh, he was gorgeous. He was just gorgeous. And I became, what do you call a, 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 a trooper or, a, you know, a, a groupie. A groupie. A groupie. <laughs> and that was when I was still, um, I had, I was dress designing and we had one of the little uh, machinists, Betty, and she kept, oh, we'll go and see Adam. Oh, come on, Adam. <gasps> and then I saw a picture of him. I said, oh, my God, he's gorgeous. So we trailed around a few of the, the ballrooms and then there was These one... These were in Dublin. Oh, in Dublin. Yeah. But then there was one in Black Rock, County Louth. Yeah. And I said to Betty, will we go up there? And she said, oh, yeah, we will. So we went up there and, of course, you know, you saw standing around the stage. Oh, he was gorgeous. I must have caught his eye because when he was finished on the stage, he came down and Betty and I were sitting down and he said, uh, you know, could he get us a drink? And... Oh, my God, flutter, flutter, flutter to talk about love. And um, so anyway, that was that. Then he kept writing to me when he went back to England. He lived in London. And then coming up towards that Christmas, he sent me a letter saying that he was doing pantomime. Would I like to go over? I thought, would I? What? And I thought my mother would definitely say, no way, going off to London on your own with a strange man. I decided I'd go or she decided I'd go. But I remember he had said at one stage, oh, I love the Irish girls with the red hair and the freckles and the green dress. Oh, you know. So what did Rosie do? I went out and I dyed the hair bright red. 
which really didn't suit me at all. And then I uh, I was very slim at the time and I made an emerald green dress and oh, it was gorgeous. And I, then I realised, of course, when I stood up beside him that he was about five foot six, I suppose, and I was about five foot ten. I said, well, at least I can wear flat shoes and bend my knees, so it'll be great. <laughs> so I arrived over in London anyway and a car picked me up at the airport and brought me... Uh, just to meet him and his manager and her husband and uh, anyway we went out and we had a meal and then we went to the theatre and uh, I was going to stay with my sister who lived in Croydon. After the performance this woman, the manageress, she said uh, you know we'll go back to my house and we'll have something there because it was late at this stage about 11 o'clock so that was that and oh I was oh flutter 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 but he said nothing. They'd had a, a, a performance in the afternoon, yes. you know, um, an afternoon show, and then they had the evening show. And <laughs> we went back anyway to Eve's house and we had a drink and so on. And Adam said, well, I'm going to bed now. And I thought, well, I'm going to get a taxi and, you know, go over to my sister. And then Eve said, oh, no, 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 you're staying the night here. You're staying the night. So I rang my sister and said, look, I won't. I'm staying here. So then I thought, well, I'd be shown into a spare room and that'll be lovely and so on. They showed me into his room and here he's out cold on the bed. So I thought, ah, I'm quite safe here. And I lay on the edge of the bed stiff and then I thought, oh my God, he's going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to be lying on the edge of the bed with all my clothes on. Oh no, out of here, I've got to go. So out of the bed, tiptoed down the stairs got to the front door, never thought there'd be an alarm on the house, opened the door, the alarm went off and at that stage I just banged the door and away I went, flying up the road. This is about three o'clock in the morning, not a sinner around. I know. So then I had to find a a telephone box and ring my sister and say, I am coming. So, So that was the last I saw of him for years. But he used to have afternoon tea in Fortnum and Mason in London. And a friend of mine said, I know where he, because I hadn't seen him then for years. And I went in and he was sitting at a table all by himself. And uh, he looked up and he said, I know you, I remember you. Now it must have been a good, I'd say 20 years later. So we sat and we had, but he died then. He had a heart attack in, I think Mm. it was in about 2002 or something. But he was lovely. But I loved to see his songs were quirky. That's what I loved. They were all bouncy and, you know, and the one I loved. Do you remember it? What do you want (laughs) if you don't want money? (laughs) And we used to dance around the floor to it. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's Adam faith the choice of today's guest former international rally driver Rosemary Smith we should point out Rosemary you had a huge amount of success oh yes but you see remember also because there was no social media you know and and whatever we did or wherever we won like East African Safari or you know down in Australia Mm. it it took sort of a week for it to filter back the only one that filtered back really fast was when I tumbled down over the, the side of the cliff in Monte Carlo and that was a horrific accident. Tell us about that. Well, it wasn't horrific for me, except I said, hell, you know, we're out of the event. But what happened again, 3 a.m., snow and ice. I was following a car and I thought, well, as long as it's fog again, I said, as long as I can see his taillights, we're fine. 
So I followed his taillights. Now, I didn't realise that stage he was one of the best world rally drivers ever. Yeah. Timo Mäkinen. Oh, and he was from uh, Finland. Finland. Yeah. And of course, they learnt on snow and ice. So he could go practically as quickly on that as on dry roads. So me having no idea really who he was, uh, decided I was following him, which was fine for the first few kilometres. And then suddenly there was a brow of the hill and it went over and I lost his taillights. And I thought, oops, suddenly I saw them again and they were all a good half a kilometre away from me. But what I didn't realise was the road had taken a big S hook around and then come back around and he was on the straight part again. So instead of going around the loop, I went straight on (laughs) and it just tumbled. How far down did you tumble? Quite a bit down. It just went silent except for the crashing through the trees. And then it stopped. And I said, oh, but now we're out of the rally. That was all I thought of. And then I, the girl with me and I said, are you all right? And there's no sign of her. And then I realised her door was open and she had fallen out of the car because she hadn't said in the very beginning that she hadn't been well. She had, they used to call it Bell's palsy. So she couldn't use one of her arms at all. She couldn't get the seatbelt on. So when it started to roll, of course, she had no protection at all. So she cracked her skull. So I clambered back up on the road. In a rally, if somebody's gone off the road, you say, oh, good, there's another one gone. Bye. (laughs) So, of course, they wouldn't stop until a German Mercedes came down. And uh, there were three men in that. And uh, and they they stopped. And, you know, what is the matter? And I said, I think I've killed my co-driver. The car is down there. So and they clambered down the mountain and they brought a rug with them. They came back up the mountain with Rosemary in the rug. And uh, they said, oh, she's badly hurt, but, you know, she's not dead. Mm. So we went on down the mountainside and then we saw uh, a light in a window. We asked them, could they call an ambulance? So the ambulance came up. They said, money, 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 money. Between us, we probably had about 40 francs, which meant nothing. Mm. So that's, I just gave them what we had, and the Germans gave them some as well. I said, where are you taking her? And they said they were taking her down to the hospital, you know, where the Three Musketeers was made. But they wouldn't bring her to the good hospital. They brought her to the, you know, the pauper's Smart, hospital. Yeah. Now, she hadn't come to at that stage, so we left her there anyway. And we went on to Monte Carlo and into the hotel and shower and change. And sorry, I said to the Roots people, their car is down a ravine somewhere. And uh, they said, oh, no, no, are you all right? And, and is she all right? And so on. And I said, I, I really don't know. But what had happened was that she, when she fell out, she cracked her skull. And you see, a lot of these things, we didn't wear crash helmets. So it wasn't, she actually, she not? no, not way back then. We stayed in, in Monte then and... Uh, we had a great time and we met Princess Grace and, and you know, the children then, you know, Albert and Caroline. So they're, they're probably yeah. practically a twinkle in Grace's eyes. But what I liked about Grace Kelly was that, you know, when she heard there were Irish people uh, coming, you know, on the rally, she had a lovely green tweed suit on. I always remember that and I thought, you know, how sweet of that. But she was absolutely beautiful. I mean, beautiful flawless so then we went to the ball and we had a wonderful time and uh, you know we went uh, just uh, went to the casino and Monte Carlo in January just when the rally is is just so beautiful the bright blue sea the yellow mimosa 
everywhere, all around the square in front of, you know, the Café de Paris and, and oh, what a beautiful place. So that was that. So then on the Monday morning, we started back up and we were to pick up Rosemary. Then we were going with her back up to Paris, but she was still unconscious. So when we went to the train, because nobody had thought to uh, book a couchette for us. So when we got to the train, we just had an ordinary carriage and, you know, a seat and a seat. So we laid her out on one of them. And this man, who was the PR man from Roots, and he and I sat on the other seat. And then, you know, it, it, it's not funny, but <laughs> we thought it was hilarious. Every time the train slowed down, she fell on the floor. <laughs> and, then we'd, and, and then once the skull came back together, then she was sort of with us, you know, she could talk to us. Mm. And then when she rolled on the floor, the skull opened up again, apparently, and she was unconscious again. You see, this is the thing. To this day, they nearly give out to me because when I went out, I went out to win. And when I didn't win, I was annoyed, even though it was my fault half the time. So we got her back eventually. We left her on the floor. We put coats and rugs and all over and this man John and I went off down to the dining car and we had a lovely dinner. It was an overnight, a few bottles of wine and everything else. And then they took her, her up on the next morning in Paris and brought her to the American hospital in Paris where she was looked after properly. I never saw her again. It's life, I suppose, isn't it? Briefly, you drove a Formula One car at 79 years of age. The oldest person in the world ever to do that. Mm-hmm. I always do things. And what speed did you hit? Don't ask me. Now, that is one thing. Look, trying to keep an 800 brake horsepower on a track that I'd never been on before. Peel Rock, Which track was Paul it? Ricard in, in France. France. And beautiful track and all these people all around the place. And, you know, I was saying, well, is this an open test day or something? Oh, no, they're all here for you. There were drones, helicopters, press, <laughs> everything. And uh, I went out first time with a very nice guy called Tom and he was showing me the track. And he kept saying, this is blah, 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 blah. I said, Tom, that's enough. Don't don't say any more because that's what I said to you. Once I've seen a, a yeah, thing, I can remember. remember it. And then I went in a, a Formula Atlantic, no, not an Atlantic, a Formula Renault, which is only 400 brake horsepower. And then after that, the director of the, the track, he said, I'm going to go out in front of you. If I don't think you're capable of doing it, you're not going to do it. So he came in and said, no, she's perfectly capable and um, let her go. And that's it. And then, but 800 brake horsepower. And just one other thing, Des, it's quite extraordinary because just before I went out, one mechanic said to me, and you know, you're so low down now in these cars, you can barely see the top of the tires in front of you. But he said to me, now that red button down there, uh, don't, and I said, I can't see it. Put my hand out to it. He said, don't touch it, don't touch it. That's just if you crash and you burst into flames, just pull that. That's just before I went out. 79 yeah. years of age, that's an extraordinary thing. To be ah, but then the other one that yeah. egged me on then was because this other man said to me, oh, of course, Jeremy Clarkson, he, and I worked with him once, <laughs> once, and uh, he said, oh, Jeremy stalled it and stalled it and stalled it and stalled it. <laughs> and I thought, if I have to get out and push this ruddy thing down the pit lane, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And um, so I just, uh, very easy. But I didn't stall it, Good and I kept it going. And all the mechanics and everybody else came out and they all cheered and clapped when I came in. So Fantastic. I was quite pleased. We're finishing with your last piece of music. 
Well, we did the East African Safari, which is one of the longest. I mean, it really is a very difficult rally. Day, night, day, night, day, night, day, night. It's very long and very difficult. Three o'clock in the morning again, and uh, I'd slam on the brakes, pull and say, what are you doing? I said, pink elephant, because when the elephants roll in the mud, you know, when they get yeah. up and they dry out, they're pink. They are actually yeah. pink. So this happened twice and I slammed on the brakes and the third time it happened, I said, I'm not going to be fooled now. Went straight at him and said, stop, it's an elephant. <laughs> you hit it? Oh, no. But you finished superbly. We finished, yeah. but when we got and everybody else who'd finished, they got their own national anthem played. So I was very sort of tearful and I'm waiting for our national anthem. And the next thing came, it's a long way to Tipperary. And that's what they thought our national anthem was. So it was great. Absolutely. Well, it's nice to finish on a reminder of a very successful career, an extraordinary career. Rosemary Smith, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for joining us. thanks, Des. I loved it. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1.